if you don't call yourself a failure, no one can call you a failure because you can turn things around and prove them they were probably wrong. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Siki Mu is the co-founder and CEO of Hello Ava an AI-powered personal skincare consultant. She's a former financial news anchor at Bloomberg TV and also held several positions at Morgan Stanley, PIMCO, and the Federal Reserve prior to starting Hello Ava. Siki is also a concert pianist and has been for over 20 years and currently serves as the music ambassador for Carnegie Hall. Uh, Siki received her MBA from Stanford, her MPA from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and she has a BA in economics from Stanford University. Uh, Siki's been profiled by Forbes, Elle, Cosmopolitan, Allure, Fast Company, Refinery29, TechCrunch, Business Insider, Inc., Cheddar, and now from the dorm room to the boardroom, too. And uh, and was awarded Inc. Magazine's 30 Rising Stars Under 30 in 2018 and L'Oreal's uh, Women in Digital in 2017. Siki, thank you so much for uh, being here with us. Thank you. It was an honor. Uh, so, so tell us a bit about, um, about what, what you do now. Uh, you've done a lot of things, but, but maybe you can bring us through your journey. Uh, maybe let's start at Stanford uh, when you're studying economics, uh, and what brought you from there to where you are now. I know there's a lot of stuff in between, but if you can sort of give us a sense of your journey. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was still studying in college, um, I always felt like there's something I could potentially do to change, solve a problem and, and change the world we lived in. So when I was in college, I, um, I wanted to be able to do something. I was a very passionate pianist and I wanted to be able to do something kind of in the inter- intersection of music and um, and economics or business. So my first job I took was actually an internship at the Warner Brothers in LA um, so that I can felt, I felt like I could learn a little bit about how to run a music business, but at the meantime be exposed to um, the you know, the artist and the creative industry. And that job has led me to um, be really interested in kind of the finance and uh, economic side of the things. And although I really liked the nature of that job, I didn't feel like it was challenging enough and I didn't feel like the need to climb up a corporate ladder. And therefore, I decided that after college, I'm going to go to... um, a big financial firm where I'm surrounded by very competitive and very driven people. And even even though I didn't get to work in 
with creative and with musicians all the time, at least it was like a good training opportunity. So that led me to my first job, which is at Morgan Stanley in New York. And I was in charge of covering a lot of the official institutions, um, like World Bank and International Finance Group, and then also, um, you know, the big central banks around the world, like the Bank of China, the Bank of Japan, who does a lot of treasury trading with our bank. But then I didn't feel that satisfied and didn't feel that was what I wanted in the long term. It was a great job, like in the short term, to train my analytics skills and to train the professionalism and, and obviously a good place to start. But then deep in my heart, I still wanted to be able to solve problem, like I said earlier, and create something that's influential to the world. Um, and then I remember actually going, uh, when I was in in college, I had this experience of having like acne and then kind of feeling, feeling pretty insecure about myself. And I just didn't really know, you know, what to do with it. And it was a very dark period of my time. And I go into my friend's these were friends who also had acne problem before, but they cleared up somehow. And I asked them for help and gave me all these recommendations. And I, and I, when I start using these recommendations, it didn't really work well on me. And even though these are products that my friend raved about, absolutely loved, and they were like, "Oh my god, just buy these!" And it was like it would cure your acne. I was like very excited, very like hopeful, right? But it didn't work because our skin is different. So. So in business school, like fast forward a couple, like uh, two years after that, I decided that like, you know, I'm going to try to solve this problem that's so close to my heart and and it affected my kind of my own teenage lives like so much when I was in college and see if we can use modern technology to solve it. And that's why we bring this, uh, we brought this idea to a classroom where we were able to experiment and interview a lot of prospect customers and then be able to understand like what is the biggest pain point we're trying to solve and then kind of figure out what that product could be with technology and disruption in order to um, in order to like really lead uh, women and men as well to the right set of skincare products so that they can get to the products without going through all these trials and errors, without going through all these disappointment, and then hopefully give them better and more beautiful and more clear skin. So that's kind of where um, where Hello Ava was born, like back in back in the back in my MBA program. And so, uh, so you had this idea for Hello Ava. You started to experiment with it at Stanford. And then what? You graduated, and, and tell us about your next steps. Yeah, so um, I'm very, I think I, we were pretty lucky in the sense that, you know, um, we went through a class project in which was systematically taught in a way that kind of could give us the idea of what it feels like to start a business, like, right? Like, how do you go through all these, like, you know, prototyping, how go through all these um, user interviews and understand what is the part of market fit before you even start building it. So you build a product that you kind of already have some kind of confidence knowing that, you know, this is what the markets want, this is what users want, therefore I'm going to build a product to satisfy those needs. So it's very much like when we use this thing called business, uh, business model canvas, so we call it the BMC, which is created by um, my professor, uh, Steve Blank, who's like a guru in like lean startup methodology. So after we prototype all of these, we, um, we, uh, we presented our idea in this last final class. And then we got pretty lucky there that a lot of the guests who our professor invited to the class were actually like 
venture capitalists from like Silicon Valley and other angel investors, and some of them are just like interested in the startup world. So after this class, we actually got quite a lot of people inviting us to pitch at their office. And by the time that we graduated from uh, business school, we actually got a few offers to fund our business. And then, um, and my original plan was actually going back to finance. I worked at PIMCO before my first and second year in, in MBA, and I was almost decided to uh, uh, be back in finance. But then, um, but after we got these term sheets and um, funding, we decided, you know what? Like, if not now, then when? Right? Like, if not us, then who? So we decided to take a chance on ourselves, and that's kind of like the whole point of going to Stanford Business School too. Is that a lot of these professors encourage you to take a chance on yourself when you're still young, when you don't have like, you know, kids or family yet? And then, um, so I decided I'm going to um, take a risk for the first time in my life, <laughs> and then, um, and just do something that feels a little scary, a little unsettled, but close to my heart and very passionate about and um, go for it. So so that's when we decided to incorporate a company, um, take the funding, and give up my career in finance. So very interesting. I actually want to rewind just a bit because uh, we talked before we even got on air now about where you're from. Um, you're from China. Uh, just actually to just sort of fill out the picture, how did you get from... China to Stanford and then start on this track? Like, tell us just a little bit about that. And then I want to come right back to where we were. Uh, great question. So a lot of people actually asked me that question because like, you know, I mean, now obviously U.S. has so many international students from all around the world. But um, back then, almost 11 years ago, it wasn't as easy and as popular. So it was quite a, definitely we had to like you know, pave our own path in a way that uh, required a lot of like hustling, a lot of uh, just, you know, information. And and so um, for me, it was actually a little bit of uh, serendipity. So when I was, uh, you mentioned, I, you know, I'm a pianist for over 20 plus years. And so when I was a kid, I used to be this, um, I, I, I was pretty good. I was also very competitive back like, you know, especially in piano back then, because there's not, not a lot of other things that you can be competitive about. Um, so I I played a piano, like I, I practiced a lot. I think I practiced more than most of the kids do, um, partially because my mom was just so harsh. And partially, it's like I truly wanted to be the best in what I do. So when I was um, a kid, I actually got selected uh, as like a young ambassador our ambassador for China to like you know promote arts around the world. So one of the one of the tours uh, we do tours all the time. One of the tours that we did was back in 2000, uh, 2000 I think the year two thousand. Wow, a long time ago. Um, and in the U.S. on the West Coast. So what we did was that we visited um, San Francisco and Las Vegas and um, L.A. And one of the stops we made was actually at the Dinkelspiel. Uh, auditorium at Stanford University. So back then, I was very impressed by how beautiful this campus was. I had no idea how hard it was to get in, obviously, but I was like, oh, wow, like if I can come here to to study, that would be amazing. And I I kind of, you know, I, I went home and I told my mom about it. And they were, I mean, my parents are pretty westernized in a way because they've been in the business with uh, you know, you are uh, Americans and Europeans for a long time. They're both entrepreneurs. So my parents were like, 
wow, like that's a big dream. Like, that's really hard to get into. But then I was like, oh, but then I can I can give a try. So so my mom was like, then you should figure out how like what are some of the steps like you don't just like get in get in like you have to like take the test you have to write application all that stuff and those things are not that common back then in China like now like a lot of Chinese students go to the U.S. for college straight from you know a, a, a high school but then back then it wasn't quite a case so um so I bought a lot of books to read about like what is the procedure like how do I go online and register for these classes and, and to take and also register for the exams and then how do I like even apply for like colleges and stuff so it took a lot of effort obviously for me to understand like the entire college application process in the U.S. and I've decided you know what I'm gonna give a shot and um and obviously in my essay Ten eight years later, after that trip, like I, I mentioned about my um my my experience as an R ambassador for China and how I performed uh, piano at um at Stanford campus, which is a very special experience, and that's what kind of got me to think about it, right? So, um, and then and I apply early action, and that they loved the experience that I was so. I was so kind of fated to come to this school like back then. And I, I did it pretty well also in my test scores and then got good recommendations and stuff. So I got in. So after I got into early action, I didn't even apply to other schools because this is what I want to do. And this is what I dreamed about eight years ago. And that was it. So and then, yeah. And then like at 2007, like September, I was a freshman at uh, Stanford. That's a great story. <laughs> um, really, really, really great story. Um, so, so, so now let's fast forward. Um, and I have a, I have a couple of um, advice types of questions for you, um, for for our audience uh, who are mostly, you know, undergraduate students or recently graduates graduated students, not exclusively, but mostly. Um, what what misconceptions do you think young people have when entering the workforce? So you've you've kind of entered the workforce a couple of times, right? Because you entered out of Stanford and then out of college, and then you en- entered again out of out of uh, MBA in in very different capacities, right? You've worked in more formal companies. You, you're now um, heading up a startup and so on. What what misconceptions do you think young people have about? sort of moving from college to the professional world? So one is, I think, especially for school, um, business school students or or students with like a little bit of like economics kind of background. When I was in college, and I think most of the economics students, and those are probably a lot of like um, the pretty kind of competitive students because they want to do finance, they want to do something that's like pretty mathematical and hard. They think the only like worthy job out there is a job in consulting or finance or or some kind of like super um, competitive um, you know corporation that is super prestigious and that's not quite the case after I start entering the workforce because I realized that out of my classmates in MBA who came from like Coca Cola or Boeing or like United or like working in like the army and stuff they got just as much, if not more, training about amazing skills and amazing um, professionalism um, than me. Um, and then these are the jobs that, like, honestly, first of all, were not exposed to us. And second, like, like as an economic student, I wouldn't even consider it because I was like, 
why do I want to climb up the corporate? Like if I can get a job in a Greek finance firm or like Facebook or Google, some kind of this big deal like tech technology firm. So I think that that's the number one misconception is there's so many industries and like out there. It's not just finance, consulting or tech. Like like in our eyes, those are the three things that we felt like we should do, but it's not quite the case. And in those other jobs, even though it might not sound as prestigious or whatever to you, you will still learn so much and you will still get a first class like world experience that it's going to, if you work hard, it's going to truly, you know, set you apart and, and you can become a truly phenomenal uh, person in whatever you do like next. So I think that's the, the first misconception I had is like the world is, huge is out there for you like you know if you graduate from a great school or a great major like it is widely open we should limit our choices um and then the second misconception i i had was um uh was that in order to i think a lot of young kids these days because of the technology um boom um that we've seen like a lot of them they probably want to have their own uh, there's business or they, their startup, they want to do something, like create something, right? They want to be an entrepreneur. And you see all these, like a whole emergence of young and millennial entrepreneurs who've done quite well because they know the customers because they are customers themselves. And I think the misconception I had was that, oh, in order to be a truly amazing entrepreneur, I have to work in a similar industry a couple of years, or I have to work in um, for someone for a couple of years before I start my own thing. That's not quite the case, especially after I went through business school, I realized that, um, you know, a lot of my classmates from undergrad, like in, including like Evan Spiegel, who's created Snapchat, right? Like they didn't have any work experience. They started right after the dorm room, right? From the dorm room to the real world. And they created something that's so special and so appealing to their generation and, and it just took off. So I think if, if I encourage students who are undergrads, like if you have a great idea and if you want to take a chance and if you feel like you're ready, um, and I think you should just go for it. You don't have to necessarily have to go through a big corporation and then go to it because once you do that, you might be too late. You know, if someone else might have already done it. So it's just like finding the opportunity and the right time, the right people. That's really interesting. That's, that's great advice. And, 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 Thinking about college, um, was I, I, was there anything from college that ended up being particularly useful for your career? Um, maybe something you didn't expect. Um, you know, can you draw a link between between what you learned in college and in your in your job? And I know oftentimes people say, "Well, you know, the job is so much different than college, and so on." But what parts of college were useful? For my first job after college, especially when I was still working in finance at the Fed, at the, what is that, Bloomberg or the Fed or uh, Morgan Stanley, I think a lot of the knowledge from my finance classes and macroeconomics was pretty useful um, because it was close to what I was doing. Now I'm in the beauty industry. It's pretty, it's pretty far away from what I you know, learn. So I think the one, one of the things that was very, very useful it's the ability to learn things fast. So learning how to learn is is a huge thing. And I think in college, because you're so you're so occupied by so many things that you do, including 
classes and um, you know extracurricular and all these like societies that you're in it it really helps me to become a better at multitasking multitasking and also and just explore the multifaceted ways of living and uh, and the different sides of myself right so I think that is really really important to be able to just embrace this ability to multitask and be able to learn things fast um, because in college we don't have a lot of time to to like always make sure that we got everything like 100% we'll probably get it 80% but then we still have to do well in our tests and still have to do well in our social life and there's so many things that we need to excel at right so like just being able to learn things fast and so that you are not afraid of um, getting to a new situation and not knowing what's the solution. I think that's like so important. And that was something I felt like I learned in college that gave me the ability to grasp this and embrace it and not be anxious about it. Um, and the second thing I felt like it was actually about managed people. So I would highly re- recommend um, young undergrads to take on as much leadership roles as possible in these clubs or societies that, you know, whether it's in your fraternity, sorority, or in like some kind of a student clubs that you're passionate about. But just like being able to be a leader in that, it's really, really important because what I realized is that these days, like, because I'm I'm the founder, right? So I, I do a lot of managing people because a lot of tasks, I can't, obviously I can't take care of all the tasks myself. So I have to be able to motivate other people to to do these tasks and complete them and make sure that I don't micromanage. But at the meantime, like things are being done, like executed and implemented. So um, knowing how to motivate people is so important. Actually, I think it was even harder back in college because you're not paying these people to do stuff, right? Like I remember I was the VP of marketing for one of the student clubs. Like that I managed like over 12 people in my team trying to pull this conference together. And honestly, I like, there's nothing I can do to motivate them rather than just, you know, spiritually like motivating them, right? Like I, I don't pay them, like no one gets paid for anything. So it was even harder than because people don't feel like they are compelled to help you, but then they still want to do, be part of something. So it's, it's a lot of work trying to motivate it, trying to motivate them and without like any kind of uh, compensation. So that has helped me and trained me to become a really good, um, I think a really good, a really good motivating speaker almost <laughs> to like, to align people's interest and to paint the big picture for people and tell people why this is so important and why this is going to be huge. And then you get them to like, get, get them to buy this vision and then you do something and implement something together. Yeah. That is like so, so, so important. That's very interesting. Yeah, that that you know, that that college can actually be a very good training ground. Um, let Let's actually hear from a student now. So I have a student question. Uh, this is a question. You're going to hear it. Um, it's from Jordan, who's a college student from Baltimore, and he has a question for you. Let's 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 have a listen. Hi, my name is Jordan, and I am a college student majoring in business and philosophy from Baltimore, Maryland. Could you give me an example of a failure you faced at work? how you identified it and how you overcame it? Yeah, that's a great question. That was always, I remember like, oh my God, in all my finance interviews, they asked me this question. <laughs> it was like the hardest question ever because you're like, oh, I can't really talk about failure. That's too much of a failure because that shows that I'm weak and I'm 
Yeah, but you're not. I'm a loser. Right, but we're not. You can be honest now. <laughs> uh, but then, like, at the meantime, like, oh, wait, but, like, what should I talk about? <laughs> um, so I definitely, first of all, I think failure is very, very, like, it's very common. Like, I know, like, when I was in college, I felt like whenever I failed a test or I, I not fail a test, like, I, I didn't do well in a test that I'm like, this is the end of the world. And now, like, in the real world, I'm like, wow, this is such a small piece of thing. Like, wow, like, how did I even get caught up in those? But um, failure, there's a lot, right? Like, I think the main thing about, like, what I mentioned earlier is um, uh, the competitive students, if, you know, you're so obsessed with success, then it's hard for these students to be able to deal with failure. So whenever you, you have failure, you might you might be crushed. And that's like the worst thing that could, the resilience is like what helps people succeed in the long term. So one of the first failure I did was, um, uh, I was not I did, but I encountered was um, not being able to raise as much money as I wanted um, at a point I could really need it. So I, I considered I was a failure, right? Because it was, um, you know, it showed that either people didn't approve what we do or, or people, or we're just, or I'm like not strong enough of an entrepreneur or we just didn't have enough traction. So a lot of the rejection that we got from investors are, are like, oh, it's probably too early for us. And, and honestly, like fast forward a little bit, we still were able to raise like the money we needed. It's just like, we want it even more. So we didn't, trying to get them to kind of agree on the same kind of valuation that we wanted. So um, so we end up having to sacrifice a little bit, but the outcome was actually pretty good. Um, so the failure we, we got into, basically what happened is that I was like depressed for a couple of weeks, right? Like, so I, I called my parents and I was like, how could these people not get into this vision? Like, are they because they're guys? They didn't understand how big the beauty industry is. Like, do they not get the vision? Um, and then maybe they, our company's in, indeed too early because we don't have a lot of users, a lot of conversion, a lot of sales yet. Like, but then again, like, this must, like, this is the ultimate trend. Like, this, it's naturally going to happen. Like, if people don't bet on us, how are they going to bet? I don't get it. I don't understand why people couldn't buy into this. And it's very different from being rejected at a job, per se, because, like, when I was applying for jobs when I was in college, I felt like, yeah, like, of course you're going to get rejections. You're not going to need a yes for every single job you apply you only need one and then you're good but for but for this it feels very different because it's um it's not just a rejection it's like freaking like slapping on your face that like this you're not good enough or like you are building something that we don't recognize we don't approve um and then it's it's like we don't we get that from a lot of people right like it's not just like one person so it's very it makes me feel very um, insecure uh, again, like about myself, and I f- it, it it creates not a lot of self doubt. It even like hurts my own confidence. Like, are we actually building something that's worthy? Like, because this is something that's very new to the world. So, like, we're creating. Like, I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg when he started Facebook, he probably had a lot of self doubt too because he's created something that didn't really exist before, right? So it's it is like scary. Um, so I call my parents who are both amazing entrepreneurs um, and they have done, obviously I know they've gone through these kind of hardship early on in their career as well. So my mom gave me an example, actually. He was like, 
like think about Jack Ma, right? Like Jack Ma now is like the richest guy in China, and he is he when he started Alibaba and back then when he was raising money, he got like over the thousand or something no's because he couldn't and then he couldn't raise money, and partially also because Jack Ma is like. I mean, maybe he just has like a very thick skin, but because he went through all these like hardship and he wasn't, he didn't come from like very wealthy family. He's not that privileged. Like he has so much resilience. So when people gave him no's and when people like slap him on his face and told him that's like crazy, he didn't take that or he probably did, but he didn't let that stop him. But now you're letting this stop you. And if you let this stop you, then you, you become a truly like a failure. But then if you don't let the failure stop you, you can potentially gain energy from it and hopefully prove them wrong in the future. Like if you don't call yourself a failure, no one can call you a failure because you can turn things around and prove them like they, they were probably wrong. So I like looked into Jack Ma a little bit more, right? Like I learned that like because he's like relatively short, and I'm not trying to like obviously make any kind of physical reference to his look or anything, but like he was relatively short. He was always like kind of bullied in college and and in school, so he was very used to the fact that he's not being like privileged in a way. So that creates his super strong resilience. He's never going to take no for an answer. He's never going to take. Um, a rejection as a way to stop doing something that he believes in and which he's truly passionate about. So then I looked at myself and I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's why, like, Siki, you've grown up always being, like, relatively smooth, like, you don't have this kind of setback, like, a huge time in your life, like, you're relatively privileged, you always get compliments in college and throughout, and that's why I don't have the same kind of resilience as him, and that's why I felt like I let these kind of things affect me, like, really, really big time. Um, so I kind of did a little bit of comparison. I felt slightly better about myself. And then after that, I decided, you know what? Let's just go with what we have and then let's keep building. And then one day we can hopefully get to the traction and sales and numbers and to prove these people wrong. So we end up um, we end up raising the money that we needed. And then we kind of, um, we didn't, it wasn't as high as we wanted, but um, it was still a lot of money. So we decided let's just close there and then start like getting to work and then start building. It's a really interesting story uh, about resilience. Um, I think that it probably strikes a chord with a lot of students who, you know, who have achieved a lot and who have always been praised and, you know, haven't had any major setbacks. Certainly some students have, but many haven't or not major ones. I just want to dig in there for one second, because I think it's so interesting, and I think it could really benefit people to understand. So if you could sort of identify what what flipped the switch for you about sort of sort of building that thicker skin, building that resilience kind of on the fly, like you didn't have the experience that Jack Ma had, it sounds like. Was it, was it the fact that you were talking to your mom, who's someone who you really, who you really identify with and look up to? Was it, was it, was it just, I mean, was it kind of just coming to some point where you said, you know, stop, I have to do this? Was it the conviction in what you were doing that you felt it was so important? Like, wh- what was, or was it a series of things? I, can you can you just sort of, just let's just put a point on that, because I think it's really important. Yeah, I think if you have to, like, ask me to point to one thing that specific turned things around, I felt like it was 
probably a little difficult, but I do think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. So, you know, obviously, number one is like reading into Jack Ma's biography and his story. I realized that, like, honestly, I'm in a much better position than he is. And look at where he has got today, right? Like, like he, he, how much more does he have to do in order to get to where he is? So that makes me feel like supported and better. And then the second thing was um, my mom who told me the story how, like, I mean, she not only gave me the story of Jack Ma and Alibaba and how this guy got rejected so many times and bullied, like, like numerous times because he is short and he doesn't have the, you know, the image of being like, like a tall, like, like handsome male, like, you know, he's not like that, right? Like he, like my mom not only told me these stories, but also the story of how she and my dad started a business. And back then they never even, first of all, it's not an internet business. So they never even have like outside funding in the way, like a lot of these Chinese entrepreneurs, they started by just, um, uh, small and then self-fund it and then when they make their first profit they reinvest it back into business and then um and then they they keep going right and then they grow into this huge business but then they have 100 percent ownership it's like crazy to even think about in our world but like my parents were like telling me like look back then we if we lose this we're gonna lose everything and 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 it's your like Sorry, just getting me a little emotional, but like you have all these outside funding. A lot of these people believe in you and you're already so much better off than where we were. Like my dad, my mom was telling me that your dad was literally saying that if this doesn't succeed and he has to go drive a taxi, but then, like a problem like here, you don't. So I think that was just so powerful to turn things around for me. Sorry. No, I, I, you know, I think what you're saying, I think, I think it's going to really help people. It's going to really affect a lot of people. So I appreciate that. Let's let's end with with one last question here, which I, I always find this an interesting question. Whenever I ask it, I always think of how I would answer it, actually. But so I'll ask it to you. If you could go back in time, you know, rewind to to when you were at Stanford uh, as a as a economics student, you know, you would you would come from China. You started college at Stanford. You were doing great in your schoolwork and so on. If you could rewind and and know what you know now, is there a piece of advice you might have given to that version of you, that younger version of you? Something you'd you'd tell yourself uh, with a with a, with your current wisdom now? Yeah, there were a lot of things I felt like I could I could give to myself back then. Um, the one thing that I would say is that if I had known this is where the technology has been, how much it has affected our world, um, I would have definitely done a much more job in terms of learning coding. And because I see that as truly um, a language, right? Like it's like being able to speak English or being able to speak um, Mandarin. It's like, it is a world language that you have been able to speak in order to communicate to people in order to um in order to be a good manager. Because technology is so in, embedded now in everything we do. So um, back then I didn't have that kind of force. I mean, I, I know technology is important and that's why I took some CS classes, but not enough to be, be where I wanted to be today. And now that I'm like building a technology company, um, I obviously rely on some of those learnings back then, but I didn't, 
I wish I had even more. Like that will make me a stronger leader. So I would highly recommend like, you know, all the kids in, in school these days, even or even before they enter undergrad, take a coding school, like, you know, learn those basic skill set when they're young. So it becomes part of their second nature. And I think that was that was something I wish I did. Um, so that was kind of more on the technical side. And then the second thing on the the more fuzzy and humanity side, I was um, I would I would think my advice to my former self is um, I spent too much time in school and trying to get a high grade and and trying to obviously get a good job and all that, um, which I achieved. But I think I didn't spend enough time, and I wish I had balanced a little more on building meaningful relationships. I think I built some good relationships, but but I could have done more. So those are things that I wish that, you know, I put in more effort into building relationships and connections because I realized, especially now that I'm in the business world, that honestly, like whether I got an A in a, in a random philosophy class, like it didn't really matter at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, on the grand scheme of things, things, like it mattered because we we have to, you can't fail, obviously, but and we have to get a good GPA and stuff. But as long as like you're happy with it, I think please try to spend more time just building meaningful relationship with the people. And the college honestly is the best place and best time to to build that. And that's the connections you are able to build will last for a lifetime, and that will benefit a significant amount uh, when you're in the real world. Well, fantastic advice. Really, really great advice. And I really appreciate your speaking with me and sharing this advice to all our listeners. So so we're at the end of our chat, and, and I just want to thank you so much for being our guest. Can can you tell listeners how to find out more about you and your company if they're interested? Yes. Um, so whoever is interested in learning more about a company, whether it's through... Uh, finding opportunities to work with us, partner with us, or use us as a user, which I think college is a great time to, you know, get amazing and, and clear skin without wasting all this money on, you know, trying and errors, then go to helloava.co um, and then get started and you can uh, go through experience. And then if you want to purchase anything, I would love to create a, a code um, and let's just call it uh, from, dorm, from dorm room and then you can get a, uh, uh, 15% off everything you purchase. Wow, excellent. Um, so, <laughs> that's a nice surprise. So th- thanks again so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it and I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, same. Uh, likewise, I'm very honored to be on this and sorry that it got me a little emotional when we trying to pinpoint like what turned things around, but it was truly um, a very genuine story and I'm very, very honored to be able to share Okay, so that was a very interesting episode. I was going to introduce her name, but we actually have someone here who can do it better. So, so Yu Chen, how, how would you say her name? Siqi. In la- last name? Mo. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. So, so there you go. So, so what were your thoughts about, about the interview? What, what, what's, what, what stood out to you? What was interesting, memorable, anybody? I really like her story about resilience, the story that her mom told her. And it actually like brought tears into my eyes too. And I thought that was really, really meaningful. And a lot of people need to realize that about resilience and never giving up. 
Yeah, similar to Sabrina, I I thought that what she said that her mom told her about um, was probably the most impactful part of the podcast, as well as, I mean, I really enjoyed how she talked about, like, her own struggle trying with um, acne, like, in college especially, um, and how that kind of made her pivot her career. I mean, I think that the platform Hello Ava that she came up with is really revolutionary. By the way, have you have you guys checked it out? I have actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have. Hey, what did you think? It's a it's actually a lot of steps and everything. It's super personalized, um, really organized. It lives up to the expectation for sure. So I I tried it. I, I didn't personally try it, but my my daughter tried it. Uh, as well. Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, I don't mean this to be an infomercial, but it's it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very uh, specific and uh, detailed and the product, apparently the products are uh, good products that they Mm. recommend. That's what I hear. I'm not a big, you know, makeup product. (laughs) Uh, uh, You Chen, any, any thoughts on, on the, on the episode? Yeah, it has similar thoughts with them, but also uh, her experience like resonated me a lot because I'm also a Chinese student and I was trained as a person, like pianist before, like when I was young. So I really had like similar experience with her. So she gave me a lot of confidence like to work in the future, like how I can like have a better career or like how I can start up even if I was trained as pianist before. So you were a piano, you were a piano. how many years did you play the piano? Uh, or do you more still, than 12 years. More than 12 years. Wow. I started at four years old. I thought it was interesting that... Mm-hmm. It, do you play the piano too? Or you should, I no? didn't. Oh. I just thought that her um, her story is really powerful because I believe a lot of people can relate to that. Like Asian people, Chinese people. A lot of people yeah. could relate to her story. Which part... It's interesting. Which which parts of it were sort of most most relatable to you? That that Where you, where you thought, oh my gosh, right, I, I get that. Yeah. I guess young experience. Because uh, Chinese educational style, like, doesn't change a lot. Like, mm-hmm. even, it's like, 10 years or 20 years. And, like, most Chinese students learn one of the instruments, like, when they are young. And most of them will choose piano. And, like, also, like, most of us will choose, like, business or econ as a major, like, in, in the universities. Because it's the most, like, easy way for us to find a job in the future. Mm. So it's, like, a stereotype for all Chinese students that they have to learn an instrument when they are young and they need to major in business or economics. Interesting. Yeah, also her studying style and also, like, personal traits. Like, I remember she mentioned, like, working really hard, being competitive. Mm -hmm. I could see myself being that when I was younger. And then just things she shared about her parents, like, owning a business and, like, working it up from scrap. I think that's like, it's, it speaks a lot to a lot of um, Asian people. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Ali? You're, you're, you're not Asian. <laughs> uh, but did, did it, I mean, I'm not either. And it really, I, that episode had a real powerful impact on me, actually, as I was doing it. Um, how, about, how about you? What, 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 how about, what, what did you take away in terms of career advice? Like, you know, she's got a very interesting path, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought, um, I mean, I'm personally not, in business or economics either as an undergraduate, but I thought how she said that a lot of, when she was in school, at least a lot of economics majors were talking about how consulting and how there's really specific careers that you had to go into and kind of limited on what industries as well that you would go into. Uh, So I thought it was helpful for at least me, even though I'm not in that field necessarily, um, 
to hear that she was saying that's not true. Like there's more industries than you think and you learn more about that once you actually start working. Um, so, yeah. 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 How about if she... So, so one last question for you. What if she were here right now? Is there a question you'd love to ask her? I mean, except, uh, of course, you'd probably want a, um, a discount code for her uh, <laughs> website. But um, aside from that, any, any, any question you'd, you'd love to ask her? My question will be how she decided to challenge herself to step, to step out of her comfort zone, to, like, to learn economics and to have her startups. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And not even that, but like, how did she gather the courage to leave her country and then go to the US, even though back then it was not such a popular thing? Yeah. So I think you did a similar thing, though. Yes. But like, <laughs> right now it's different because a lot of us do that now. But like, when she did it, she must have been like one of the very few people. Right. Who that's did what it. she said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ali? What would you ask her? Like, I'm very curious about what difficulty she's she faced when creating Hello Ava specifically because I mean I can't I've, I've never when I like tr- looked at it myself I've never seen anything like it and I just like when I was clicking through all the steps and everything I was just like this must have taken a lot of time <laughs> I thought that too um all right so 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 that's it for today um, very interesting episode um please uh, follow us on Instagram at what's our Instagram handle from the Dorm Room Podcast. From the Dorm Room Podcast. You got to check us out. Rate us on Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a nice rating. Um, mention some comments about the podcast, anything you'd like. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And next week, we will come back with another very interesting and very different episode. And until then, see you later. Bye.